Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am Michele Matarazzo from the HM SINAC in Madrid, Spain. Our guest today is Dr. Nicola J. Ray from the Department of Psychology of the Manchester Metropolitan University in the United Kingdom. Nicola, welcome to the MDS podcast. Thank you very much. So you are one of the authors of an article recently published on the Movement Disorders Journal titled Cholinergic Basal Forebrain Volumes Predict Gait Decline in Parkinson's Disease. The topic is actually very interesting as the non-dopaminergic changes in the Parkinsonian brain have been long overlooked. And we certainly know that the acetylcholine is affected in Parkinson's disease and that this has consequences on the clinical manifestations of the patients. Nicola, can we start just by summarizing what are the main function of acetylcholine in the normal brain and why it is important in Parkinson's? Of course, um, and thank you for inviting me to take part in this podcast. Um, so cholinergic synapses are fairly ubiquitous in the human central nervous system. So it's likely that acetylcholine is involved in lots of different varied functions. There's lots of research to show, you know, it's involved in memory, learning, attention, and really the list goes on. And it, now our study shows that it's involved in gait as well. Um, in terms of Parkinson's, the early pathological literature found that there was a lot of cholinergic neurons in the nucleus basalis of the cholinergic basal forebrain, which might even be uh, more severe than what's seen in Alzheimer's disease. So we know that this uh, nucleus is a hallmark of Alzheimer's pathology. Since that pathological literature, there's now a fairly large set of literature in Parkinson's, which is in vivo literature, describing the relationships between a loss of cholinergic innervation of the cortex, which would presumably originate in the nucleus basalis, and more severe uh, cognitive de deficits, so by which I mean a quicker, more rapid progression to Parkinson's disease dementia. I should also mention the peduncular pontine nucleus as well, because usually when people think of acetylcholine, they think specifically about the cholinergic basal forebrain. But um, the peduncul peduncular pontine nucleus is also really important in Parkinson's. It's a brainstem cholinergic nucleus projecting primarily to the thalamus. And we know that it also degenerates in Parkinson's. But the implications of this is less well established than what we know about for the nucleus bizarreless. Great. So as you were saying, in Parkinson's, we know that the involvement of different cholinergic brain nuclei may start from early stages of the disease. Mm -hmm. And this, as you were mentioning, has been shown in post-mortem studies, but also in vivo, thanks to the advance of structural and molecular imaging techniques. And, you know, there is this idea of cholinergic basal forebrain nuclei related to cognition, while the pontine nucleus is supposedly related to gait disorders. But the hypothesis of your article challenged this kind of dichotomy. Is that right? Um, yes and no. So I think the idea that cognition is related to the basal forebrain, whilst gait is related to the peduncular pontine nucleus, is a really attractive one in its simplicity. But I think it's almost a little bit too good to be 100% completely, you know, the full story. So we know from the work that Professor Rochester, who is also senior author on this paper, has done, and her team at the University of Newcastle. So we know from that work that gait and cognition are connected to a degree that maybe hadn't previously been appreciated. So she showed, for example, that gait changes in early Parkinson's disease can predict uh, future cognitive changes, so especially attention and visual memory. And that prediction is even stronger than it is for uh, cognitive performance in early disease. 
So I think what our results might imply is that basal forebrain degeneration affects the aspects of gait that depend on intact cognitive function. So we're currently looking at this in a, a more comprehensive analysis of the data set uh, that we collected for this particular study. So that, that data set also includes a full cognitive battery. So we can do that kind of all encompassing analysis. And I think another thing to note is that the PPN is now recognized as much more than a locomotor region. So the work of people like Nadine Gort and Juan Menesegovia have really challenged this idea that the PPN is just a locomotor region. And they've shown mainly in rodents that the PPN or the peduncular pontine nucleus also has a role in cognitive function. So we've just done an analysis using the same data set that we reported on for this particular study using the PPN, but with diffusion tensor imaging rather than volumetry. It's not ready yet for publication, but we can show that structural changes in the PPN are also quite robustly uh, associated with cognitive functions. So whether or not that is also true for gait is something that we need to investigate in a more comprehensive analysis. Wow, that is terrific. I really look forward to see the published data. Now, can you go ahead and summarize for us what are the main results of, of your study? Yes, absolutely, of course. So for the study, we used the Icicle Gate data set. So this was a data set led by Lynn Rochester. So she collected brain imaging, cognitive testing, and quantitative gaze assessment in people with Parkinson's at fairly early disease, at disease stages, so not more than a few years since they'd been diagnosed. And then she measured those participants longitudinally as well over the two follow-up sessions that we've reported on in this paper. So we performed a volumetric analysis on the basal forebrain using the brain images. So essentially, we extracted a, a measure of volume that represents atrophy. And then we used linear mixed modeling analysis to determine if the measure that we extracted a baseline could predict changes to gait over time. And what we discovered was that whilst gait and basal forebrain volumes aren't correlated at baseline, by which I mean there was no cross-sectional relationship that survived correction for age, we did observe that the basal forebrain volumes at baseline could predict future changes to gait, so changes that occurred over the longitudinal follow-up. Great. Those results are extremely interesting, especially thinking about the prediction part of it. Now, while I was reading the article, I was wondering, can you be sure that these correlations that you found represent a causal association, or maybe they can just be an epiphenomenon of the degeneration in other systems of the brain, or maybe in other cholinergic nuclei, such as the PPN we were discussing about before. What do you think about this? So the honest answer is that we can never really be sure that our, our results completely depend on the um, interpretation that we've made. But we've we took some steps to try to constrain our interpretation. So we corrected for global changes in gray matter. And so that implies that our results aren't related to any, you know, non-specific loss of brain volume or non-specific degeneration. But it is fairly difficult to say with the data that we have whether or not the PPN contributed to the relationship. So there's definitely a possibility that degeneration in the PPN and the cholinergic basal forebrain are linked. So they may occur together in tandem with uh, susceptibility of cholinergic neurons to Parkinson's related pathology. So that could totally explain the results. Unfortunately, the PPN isn't accessible to volumetry. So it, because the PPN's in the brainstem, most of the software approaches assume that 
everything in the PPN is white matter. So you can't extract a volume, a gray matter volume from um, using those techniques. So I mentioned previously that we're currently extracting structural met- metrics from the PPN in this data set, but using the diffusion tensor images instead. So we would have measures of microstructural changes in that nucleus. And so what we'll be able to do then is provide more of a whole brain approach to the study of the cholinergic underpinnings of gait. And that's definitely the, the way that we're moving forwards with this data set. Can, can I ask you now, what are the clinical consequences or the clinical impact of these findings? So I would say that the most immediate clinical conse- consequences is that we've identified or at least we've confirmed the identification of the cholinergic system as a target for treatment of uh, gait issues. So the the study isn't going to change clinical practice immediately, but what the results might offer is a means to stratify patients in clinical trials so that you know efficacy of pro-cholinergic medications for improving gait can be uh, tested in patients who specifically have a cholinergic deficit. I would say that there's some work to do before that becomes a reality in terms of our data acting as a proper biomarker because you know there's a need to standardize standardize the analysis approach and to confirm the sensitivity and specificity for predicting gay changes if any of those um, treatment approaches were to be preventative but the upshot of all that work would be that we'd have a a neuroimaging and gait-based combinatorial kind of biomarker that could be useful for the clinic. And, you know, these tools require advanced analysis techniques, but the technology that they depend on is fairly widespread. So most hospitals have a a brain scanner and the gait assessments can be done in a laboratory fairly cheaply, relatively. Perfect. Now, let me finish asking a question on the future of the investigation of acetylcholine in Parkinson's disease. What do you think we should expect from the future? Do you think that MRI will lead the way to keep unraveling the role of this neurotransmitter in neurodegeneration? Or maybe, you know, there are also some few um, cholinergic PET tracers that have been available for years now, and some newer ones are being tested currently. Do you think that maybe combining this, those two modalities, the PET and the MRI, we could improve the understanding uh, we have of this system? Yes, absolutely. I think that a combined PET and structural MRI approach would be an incredibly useful investigative tool for understanding the role of acetylcholine in Parkinson's and a range of neurodegenerative conditions. So our collaborators in Rostock, so Stefan Taipel's group, who created the cholinergic basal forebrain mask, um, have really advanced knowledge of the involvement of the cholinergic basal forebrain in prodromal Alzheimer's disease. And so I hope the MRI markers that we've used here will do the same. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll be able to approach it in the same way that they have done for Alzheimer's disease, but for Parkinson's disease. And I think with, with regards to PET, it's really interesting that you should ask because we're collaborating with Nico Bonin and Martin Muller over in Michigan, University of Michigan, uh, to combine the structural imaging tools I've just talked about from the PPN and the cholinergic basal forebrain with their PET data. So they have a really large uh, and rich data set in people with Parkinson's using PET and FEOBV. As, so FEOBV is a, a, a newer cholinergic tracer that binds to the vesicular acetylcholine transporter. So again, this one is uh, in preparation for publication, but we have some really nice data showing that the structural metrics I've been talking about reflect a loss of cholinergic nerve terminals in, you know, anatomically constrained or anatomically expected regions. 
Um, so this is important, I think, because it means that the markers that we've extracted using structural MRI mean something about loss of acetylcholine. But it's also important because MRI is so much cheaper than PET. It's less invasive. Uh, it's more widespread. So, you know, we don't need a cyclotron <laughs> on site to be able to extract these metrics. So it kind of it opens up more opportunities for more people to study the cholinergic system. And it, it makes biomarker development more feasible for healthcare systems. Well, it is great that you're going to do these collaborations. I think that, you know, putting together the experience and the expertise of MRI and PET will really help us uh, moving forward much faster. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Um, only that I'm really happy the paper has generated so much interest, really. I think we are at a really interesting point for understanding gait and mobility more widely. Um, so Professor Rochester is lead uh, one of the leads for the big mobilized D study. So that's a uh, it's a study aiming to provide a system to monitor uh, gait based changes and mobility changes using digital technologies. So that's not just for Parkinson's, but for lots of different conditions that have an impact on mobility. And I think for my part, adding a mechanistic understanding, at least from the brain based changes that might contribute to gait will hopefully, you know, lead to new therapies and clinical tools. I think also, I, I should just say, we'd be really interested to hear from people who think that the tools we've used might be useful for their own research programs, you know, across a range of neurodegenerative conditions. Yeah, let's just hope someone is listening to this and maybe they will contact you to, to collaborate <laughs> yeah. on this. That would be fantastic. <laughs> let's have so. Well, thank you again, Nicola, for being with us today. Thank you very much for speaking with me. We have interviewed Dr. Ray on the article Cholinergic Basal 4 Brain Volumes Predict Gait Decline in Parkinson's Disease, published on the Movement Disorders Journal. Thank you all for listening.